Hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Riots in Camelon, the great hunt called without any of us having a hint of it until the proclamation. Lost dragons popping up like red bells after a rain, nations fading, and more nobles playing at the game of houses than at any time since Arthur Hawkwing cut all their plotting short. And worst of all, every one of us knows the Dark One is stirring again. Show me a sister who does not think the White Tower is losing its grip on events, and if she is not Brown Aja, she is dead. Time may be growing short for all of us, daughter. Sometimes I think I can almost feel it growing shorter. Swan Sanche, Chapter 4 of The Great Hunt. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. And we are going back into The Great Hunt, or The Great Grunt, as we like to call it. I actually put that in my notes. <laughs> Like at least once. I was like, I need to. It's just so funny. I'm going to just jump into it and yeah. go. So chapter one, the flame of Tarvalin. Mm. Da -da -da. So we've got Lan and Rand training sword forms and they're on top of a tower in Valdara. It is windy. Something happens with the air and Rand is kind of like, pushed into Lan's practice sword. So the practice sword kind of shatters up against his side. Mm -hmm. And Lan is like, WTF, Rand, that was a pretty stupid move. What kind of fool move do you call that sheep herder? Lan kind of just writes it off like, well, you know, strange things happen this close to the blight. And then he kind of asks Ran, why are you still here? I thought you were leaving. And <laughs> Ran's like, oh, I want to keep training and blah, blah, blah. And I think Lan is just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So then we get another lesson with Lan just since another Eye of the World. Mm -hmm. And he explains that Ran's sword is worth quite a bit of money mm -hmm. and that it's a power wrought sword. During the Age of Legends, I believe before the breaking of the world, mm -hmm. these were made. Mm -hmm. But after the breaking of the world, I said I quit making them and they are seemingly unbreakable due to being, I guess, forged, forged with mm -hmm. the one power. Mm -hmm. And then Lan puts on his scientist hat and carbon dates <laughs> Rand's sword as almost 3,000 years old. He sent it off. Pigeon? Yes. He sent it off by pigeon to get the, yes. the analysis done. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> I just want to say, though, this is like if you were to find a Grecian sword as old as Sparta. I actually so really like is... that that's the timeline that you gave it because I was like, ooh, effective. Yeah. Very effective. Yes. And then Lan is like, well, you know, you should sell it. And I'm like, Lan... <laughs> It's a terrible idea, but he's a, okay. He's an antiquarian. He's yeah. Take it, take it on Antiques Roadshow, the Faldara edition, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so the sword is 
magic. Let's just say it that way. You can't really break it. It stays sharp. And we get kind of a switch back to Rand and he's complaining that Moraine is dumping all this terrible information on him and then she's just ignoring him. Mm -hmm. And my personal opinion is that she's being extremely manipulative. I agree with you. But we can talk more about that in the spoiler section. So we hear trumpets and drums beating, and there's a large entourage of people entering Faldara. They're carrying banners of the Flame of Tarvalin, and Rand is horrified. He is definitely not comfortable seeing this many Aes Sedai coming towards him, and Lana's like, well, you probably should have left sooner. And right? Like, yeah. Lana, thanks. Dude. <laughs> Stick to teaching sword forms, okay? <laughs> Keep the life advice to yourself, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, once again, thank you, Captain Obvious. Right. And Rand grabs his stuff and he runs away. Can I just comment on what a massive display of pomp wealth and power is being displayed right now by the Aes Sedai coming to visit Faldar Keep. Like, Mm -hmm. 12 drummers drumming need to be fed. They need to be clothed. They need to be brought up by ship. Like, 12 drummers drumming. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can think of. (laughs) What I was like, (laughs) it's almost Christmas. I think it's really easy to kind of gloss over things like that without recognizing just really how large of a display this is, what kind of a force that they're bringing with them. I think we get a little more information in chapter four Mm -hmm. that kind of makes you understand why Mm -hmm. they have such an entourage. But absolutely. I do want to point out, though, it's a really just nice little attention to detail that Robert Jordan gave us that when you're looking out past the walls of Faldara, all of the plant matter has been cleared to ankle height. And I just think that this is a really cool way to show how important it is to keep a clear line of sight Mm -hmm. in these northern borderland towns Mm -hmm. because when you're that close to... Trollocs and all of these creepy blight creatures, you want a good line of sight. Absolutely. And so if you think of these archers up on the walls, mm-hmm. there can't be any hiding spots. Yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of, I was watching some interview, I think it was like tourists inside a village in Africa where they're on the plains. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of talking about how it was interesting when they showed up that there's just nothing there. It's just like the houses and these buildings that they've erected and then nothing there. And they're like, well, why don't you decorate or anything or show like I was picturing something more vibrant. And they were like, no, like there are lions out here. <laughs> you can't have things where these dangerous animals could hide behind. And it just kind yeah. of was like, OK, like Valdara needs to stay safe and this Mm -hmm. goes in line with not covering your face in the borderlands so it's on the highest peak of like the the hill Mm -hmm. yep it's like a hill fort kind of hill castle yeah it's so very strategically placed and it's like a cross between a fortress and a palace it feels Mm -hmm. like so it's all geared towards defense 
because yes. it has to be. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things about the Borderlanders that I deeply appreciate is that mm-hmm. they are never not on guard. They're Correct. ready, ready. What is it? Lord Algamar keeps his armor, his suit of on the armor wall. on the yeah. wall in the room where he takes tea just in case. Yeah, with weapons, like yeah. just ready to go. Just so. ready to go. I love that. And then that brings us to chapter two, The Welcome. So as we said, Rand, after receiving some loving, helpful advice from Lan, runs off, of course, I would too. And in an escalating panic, he enters the now bustling keep to attempt a belated escape. And I don't know if you had this vibe to it or not, but I absolutely did. Where like, as he's walking through the keep, he like takes a few steps and then someone's like, ho, Southlander, the Amarillan seat is here to see you. And then Rand moves on. Another person is like, oh, I bet you're going to go get yourself ready to go see the Amarillan. And like, I'm just Mm -hmm. like clicking A, figuring out where I'm supposed to go. Like, that was just how it felt like the wording of it was just kind of cracking me up and maybe maybe that's just me and I'm okay with it but it amused me while I was reading it nonetheless I am curious Amber how did the Amberlin Sea and all of these Aes Sedai and everyone arrive without any warning this is a large group of people they aren't exactly trying to be like, I have a theory for that do you yes is it for now or is it for later I'll take you whenever. I was thinking about the wind that Rand got like pushed around and I thought, is this our first evil? Is this our first weird thing? That's what I wondered too. And then I thought, or did Rand accidentally channel somehow? But then when I got to the fourth chapter, and I'm just thinking about back in Eye of the World when Moraine sends the wind off to carry their scent away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking they have all of these channelers. So who's to say they didn't use some cloaking maneuvers, maybe some strategic channeling to make sure that nobody follows on their heels mm. to make sure that they're guarded. I, I can see that. I mean, they are because they probably, yeah, they probably have their warders up ahead scouting. Maybe their warders go off with one or two eyes that eye while they're scouting and kind of see what's going on, and then they can channel distractions and channel the wind to make sure their scent is never picked up. I think that they could get to Faldara like they crept up on it Mm -hmm. so I don't know and I mean that is exactly how it feels because like all of these servants are running around and the comets Mm -hmm. being thrown all over the place that if they just would have had a little bit of warning they would have been ready and now instead they have to scramble and Mm -hmm. in Shayanara the Aes Sedai hold a place of respect and so mm-hmm. their arrival is a really big deal. Yes. And then to have the Amarillan seat showing up too, huge deal. This has set everyone off and buzzing and Rand is no exception. So mm-hmm. he gets to his room. His plan is to grab his stuff and just get out of there. And unfortunately for Rand, he has a rather busy visitor plus friends hanging out in his room cleaning out his wardrobe 
and Matt's wardrobe and Perrin's wardrobe. And they have replaced this with clothes that is, he finds out is a gift from Lady Amelisa. And I don't know quite how to feel about this particular section because this is one of those things where like specific cultures have specific ways of looking at things. And so in this moment, Rand is being told to take off all of his clothes while all of these women hang out and kind of pester him. Is that, I mean... They're intentionally making him uncomfortable in some instances. I don't really like it. No. For example, when Perrin is in the Tinker's camp, Mm -hmm. we have these small instances where sometimes it's older women are kind of like when they were doing the Tiganza and they were dancing just to like get a blush out of him. Right. And I was thinking about how creepy that is if you reversed it and it were men doing Mm -hmm. it to women. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. Either, either way you flip it, forcing mm-hmm. someone into a place where they feel uncomfortable is not cool. Like, but at the same time, these are their culturally accepted norms. Exactly. And for the outsider to feel embarrassed, mm-hmm. should they have to change their whole way of living just to kind of make someone feel comfortable? So, you know, it's kind of like a circle where it at is. one point I'm kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of creepy, but then again, where it's like, well, this is just how they are. How they do things. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm traveling somewhere and it's polite culture to take your shoes off before you enter somebody's house, mm-hmm. I don't expect them to change for me. Mm-hmm. But again, when it's something kind of like sexualized, it's also a yeah. little bit like, it's it's a very like to me it's nuanced (laughs) yeah and I I think the thing that I would land on I I really like to host people I like to have dinner parties and like to have people hang out and I am 100% that person that's like Mm -hmm. you doing okay having a good time what can I do for you I want your comfort level to be at max while we are hanging out and even if it were my custom to walk around my house naked all the time, if it made a guest of mine feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I would do what I felt would be polite for right. making my guest comfortable. And I think but that's- these are like, but these are like serving women and maids and stuff. They don't have yeah. time for this. They're probably just like, <laughs> quit being a baby, get your clothes off. We got to get this done. The Amerlin is coming, you know, just deal with it. Step yeah. to it. Get the straw out of your hair, farm Mm -hmm. boy. Okay, that's funny. I like, yeah. I can see that. Like, you're just in a rush. You just want to get this done. Poor farm boy has problems with Mm -hmm. being naked. I've had this happen to me in Germany where I'm somewhere, like, in a store, in a shop, doing something, and I'm trying to speak in German, and the word's not coming to me, and I'm I'm struggling to pull for that word and they will just switch over to English and just be like, yeah, this is easier. Like, we'll just do it this way. And I'm like, no, but wait, I'll never learn if you don't. Come on, like, please just work (laughs) with me here. But if I'm at someone's house, it's something totally different where it's like if you're a guest and you're conversing, you try and make that person feel comfortable. But if you're there on the clock 
you don't have time for that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> That's a really good point. I like that insight on it a lot. The head woman, the Shambaya, is that right? Shambayan, I think. Um, However you want to say it. Yeah. <laughs> She's basically like a head housekeeper and Randy even mm-hmm. kind of like he says that he's he's like I think about her as the head housekeeper only the house is a fortress slash palace and she has scores of servants at her command and this is another small area where I think the detail is important possibly enriching at the very at the very least like you can't have a place like Faldara Keep without a person like Alonso. Mm-hmm. So I I just like that he's like, of course there are servants. There are lots and lots of them and they do all the things. These women, they heckle Rand. Rand manages to get them out of his room. He changes, but all of the clothes, like all of these clothes <laughs> that he have has been gifted, this is quite a treasure trove of clothing. Like I, I went through and kind of counted everything up because I was like, what, what all did he get? Um, and I think it was like, yeah, 12 coats. I don't know who needs 12 coats, 36 or possibly 72 shirts because half of them were linen and half of them were silk. And I couldn't tell if like maybe 18 doesn't matter. This is a lot of shit. And there are two cloaks. It doesn't mention how many pairs of pants he has or anything like that, but this mm-hmm. is a lot of clothes. And then on his cloak, where like a person's house sigil would be, mm-hmm. has been embroidered a dragon. And of course, poor Rand is like, what the hell? I am going to have to remove that later because why no. are they? This does not make any sense to me. Why are they outing him? I don't understand. That's exactly what I wrote down in my notes is like, is Moraine outing him? Because he definitely has that moment where he's like, Mm -hmm. is this a gift from the lady Amelisa? Or is this something that Moraine had a hand in making happen? So Rand is off balance, but he at least has pretty kicking wardrobe. What I think is interesting and land totally picked up on this is that rand really isn't quite fully ready on board for leaving this is really difficult for him and with good reason and now he's like made it kind of an excuse he's gonna cut through the courtyard where the amaryllin is arriving with all of the ice to die that he's trying to avoid and I mean, he's like, I'm taller than everyone else. I can see over everyone else's head. I'm like, that means they can see you too, dummy. You're trying to get away from them. Why are you going right into the midst of them? Anyway, Rand takes this shortcut on his planned route of escape and he gets to see the welcoming ceremony. It's interesting to me how much in the ceremonies associated with the Aes Sedai come in threes. Like there's like the tapping three times, the saying the the phrase three times. I don't understand it. It just kind of like caught my attention. Then it's Leanne who does the announcing, and it is Alonso's male counterpart. I think it's Sham something or another, whatever. So the ceremony happens, and 
Brienne decides that this is now the time to get out of there. He does have this moment when he's in the courtyard where he feels as though the Amberlynn's eyes are on him, but he tells himself it's just his imagination. Why would she notice him? Tall, redheaded boy out of place among all of these other people. So after this potentially foolhardy detour, Rand arrives at the stables where the groom greets him as though he were nobility. And I find this very thought-provoking is the word that I'm thinking of because Rand has basically jumped from being a shepherd to a possible king in hiding in less than a year. And it's just because of his name. So like he, he has the A-L, the all, in his hand, mm-hmm. in his name, Randall Thor, and Lan has this in the Borderlands, this indicates a king. And so this has caused all kinds of bowing and scraping to Rand among the servants. And this groom, Tima, seems to be among the worst. He asks for his horse to be saddled up. And Tima is very sorry. He's very, very sorry but there has been an order that's come down. The gates cannot be opened. They are now guarded and no one can leave without permission. And Rand has the thought, who gave this order? Tima's like, well, I would assume it was Lord Algmar. The orders just came down. But of course there are powers that are almost considered higher than Lord Algmar present in Faldara. So I think this shows a bit of growth and savviness on Rand's part that he's asking that question in particular. So that's interesting to me. But this news basically causes Rand to run. What else is he going to do? And so he takes off knowing that shortly the Amarillan seat is going to be looking for him. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Okay, so chapter three, friends and enemies. Rand wants to get the heck out of Aldara. He is making his way from gate to gate. This one gate that he's at, he's greeted by two guards, Ragan and Masima. Hello, Masima. Hi, Masima. So Masima won't let him through the gates and all the other gates are guarded. Mm-hmm. Rand wonders if it would be better if he were just gentled and just got this whole thing over with. He feels trapped. He's not liking this, trapped like a rat. Mm -hmm. So he also feels he's being watched and he's worried he might already be going mad. Mm. He goes into a storeroom to find Matt dicing and gambling and hanging out with Perrin and Loyal. Of course, of course. Yeah, everyone notices his fancy clothes and Rand says the Amarlin is here so that he needs to go. They don't know he can channel, so they don't understand why the Amarlin would give a crap who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of just getting aggressive at this point. So we've got Rand in this really dumb but understandable attempt to push everyone away from him. He wants to protect them. This is a thing. I think it was from Eye of the World where he's saying sometimes it's hard to do things for yourself, but if you're doing something to protect others that you care about, you're stronger and you can do these things. And this is just Rand's nature, but I really hated reading this part, especially when he snaps at Loyal and just like, what did Loyal ever do to you? Right. So 
They all kind of leave. Rand leaves. And on his way out, he runs into Egwene. And this is interesting. She tackles him she to the ground. She tackles him. And then reads him to filth. And she's like, I know what you just did. And I know why you're doing it. So then he kind of manhandles her. And she's like, ow, my arm. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm going to light your pants on fire. And... She uses the one power and the... Oh, the torches? Yeah, the torches, I think, flicker. Uh-huh, yeah. And he's and like, what the her. Yeah, he's she like, oh. squeaks. Yeah, I did that. She squeaks. Shit. And then, so we've got some pretty foolish behavior on both parts. He's explaining to her the situation that he's in, so she agrees to hide him, and she's like, I know, just the spot. Mm-hmm. She takes him to the dungeons to hide him, and it is revealed that she has been visiting none other than Paddan Fane. Why? I can make some guesses. She, but she has she I, she misses her home, and she's like Paddan Fane. He's mostly back to his normal self again, and sometimes she he tells me jokes and he talks about things from home. So she's believing that Paddan Fane is maybe changing back to the side of the light, maybe just a teeny tiny bit. And maybe she thinks these visits are responsible for it. So it just makes me feel like she's incredibly naive in this moment. So she's been doing this without Moraine's permission. Mm -hmm. And at first I'm like, does she really need Moraine's permission to do this? But on second thought, again, I'm like, this is very foolhardy to be doing. And there's a reason she's doing it without asking for permission, mm -hmm. because she knows, I think, deep down, she shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, yeah. It comes to light that the men guarding Pot and Fane are becoming increasingly more and more ill-tempered, mm -hmm. as are the other men in the cells next to Pot and Fane. Mm -hmm. So... Fane starts upsetting everyone. He seems to see Rand in the dark, which is creepy. Mm -hmm. And he's saying things like, the battle is never over, and soon Fane will be free, and Mordeth knows. Mm -hmm. And just being really cryptic. And Egwene and Rand are kind of like, yeah, let's get out of here. This is a little bit much. Mm -hmm. Egwene tells Rand that she has a better hiding spot in mind. Mm -hmm. And this will be the one place they never look for him. And it is the women's apartments. Yeah. I just don't know how she plans to disguise a person who everyone seems to recognize on site. I think she wants to hide him under her bed and make him suffer. <laughs> like, and come hell or high water, that's what's going to happen. Okay. Yes, she's hiding him, but she's essentially trapping him in one place that he can't get out of. Mm -hmm. Once he's in, he can't come out. I almost feel like this was almost like a prank on him where it makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. it's a good idea, but at the same time, she's probably like... <laughs> Sucker. Yes. Yeah. Like there's 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 a feeling of almost it's like brotherly, sisterly, I don't know, pranking. Yeah. Like 
like a little bit of humiliation is fun for me to watch you go through. Ha ha ha. A little schadenfreude. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I did think that the tackle from Aguin was funny and potentially unnecessary. It's like, okay, like, are you going to try out for the Tarvalin rugby team? Right? Like, <laughs> blue 42. <laughs> That sounds right. Yes. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Tiny little Aguin. I'm pretty sure there are probably better ways of getting other people's attention than throwing yourself at their ankles. That to me sounds painful. There are so many reasons why I would not do that. This is one thing that I don't love about the Wheel of Time, and it is done often where physical things like tackling people or smacking people or spanking people is done in a somewhat har har jokey way i can understand if you're kind of like play wrestling or something it happens kids are kids who cares yeah but sometimes i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> i am with you on that i am with you on that but i don't think i've ever really like kind of paid attention to that and like what that would actually mentally look like and then when i started putting it together i was like this is ridiculous Rand's covered in pack bags or saddlebags. He's carrying a sword. And she's like, ha ha, I know how to stop you. And his sword <laughs> is next to impossible to break. Can you imagine if she tackles him, he drops the sword and it just like skewers her? Right. Like, Egwene, come on. Is this how they do things in the two rivers? This is what Marin taught her. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. used to do it to Bran all the time when they first got married. (laughs) Bran Elvier, how many times have I told you? (laughs) How dare you destroy this wholesome idea I have of Marin Elvier in my head. I'm really sorry, but if it makes you feel any better, somehow she's still magnificent, even tackling Bran Elvier. Can you just see her like sitting on him, like yeah. sitting on his chest, like, like stop hitting yourself, stop <laughs> hitting yourself. <laughs> they have photos in the family photo album. Of okay. That yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's move on. That was. Yes. <laughs> this is where we go to chapter four. That's our segue. I want, I want to go to chapter four. That sounds really good. So Summoned. I am so excited to have a Moraine point of view because I really. Do we have a Moraine point of view in Eye of the World? I think there might be one at like the very end. Go forward and I'll look it up. Please do. I appreciate that. And actually, I wrote this down, so I'm going to say it. It was really good to get out of Rand's head. Um, Sometimes I get really frustrated with the point of view changes because I'm so into that particular storyline i feel like i come to like a quick stop and i have to switch directions but this one i was totally on board for this one so maureen is preparing herself for the summons to the amaryland seat she's got all the right garb and gear including her special blue stone and her head is spinning with questions but she composes herself until all her emotions are hidden from her face what is the blue stone Kisiera. Kisiera. So and it, her first POV is chapter 53 in the Eye of the World. So at the very end. It there, is at the, right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I think it's kind of fun to save it for the very end, considering she's this huge catalyst to everything mm-hmm. that happens throughout the series, but we never really get to hear from her. And so I love that she like gets this almost like sneaky. <laughs> 
like at the end of it because she's using yeah some people know that she can use that stone as a focal point for eavesdropping mm-hmm. and she thinks if the right people have come with the amaryllin seat and are aware of that it may throw them off balance and i i think of like young moraine holding her her special stone she still carries it wears it and uses it like she doesn't need it but she uses mm-hmm. it anyway she is escorted by Anaya of the Blue Aja and Landrin of the Red Aja. And they are completely opposite. Anaya is warm and welcoming and a bit of a chatterbox, but not in an annoying kind of way. And Landrin is just kind of grumpy pants. She says, yeah, she says something along the lines of there's no one who can't be put in a comfortable spot by seeing Anaya's like wholesome yes. smiles. Yeah. And I really, I really like that. It makes sense that she would be a blue, you know, like that's a, that's a blue vibe, I guess. But Maureen, Maureen comments that Lyandrin always sounded dissatisfied with something. And yeah. Yeah. That tells you a lot about who she is and what it's going to be like to, journey with Leandrin. Mm-hmm. Um, Moraine's chamber at this time is warded and Leandrin comments on it because Moraine doesn't even let them in. She just kind of like pushes them all out the door together. And she's like warded for everyone. I didn't need to make a distinction until now. And I'm like, Moraine, you're so tricky. Like it's completely true, but she is protecting herself from her sisters too, because mm-hmm. Moraine's smart and she doesn't trust anyone except for probably Lan and Swan. Along the hallways, as they're going from Moraine's chamber to where the Amaralyn is residing in Faldara, there are all of these little moments that happen. And it's just this very rich weave of a scene, if you will. Like I can see it in my head, these three women walking through these halls and what is happening around them. There's the response of the servants to the Aes Sedai. Again, they are respected, revered in the borderlands. And so they bow like probably more than they would for even Lord Algomar. And in some ways it just feels like Anaya and Moraine are like beauty queens in a parade. And they're like smiling and nodding and Landrin is just like glaring at everyone. But these two Aes Sedai are way more up to speed on the news that's been happening and they begin to fill Moraine in on all the things she doesn't know. So quickly, there are three false dragons. Riots in Camelin have slowed but not stopped. And there's definitely a bit of a question around the stability of the throne. White Cloaks are also in Camelin and followed Elaine. Gawain, Elida, and their party from Camelin to Tarvalon up to the gate. So white- I love, I love, love, love where Gareth Bryn's name gets dropped in here. And she's like, since Gareth Bryn still has control of the army and Andor, he would cut through every last yes. white cloak in their way, yeah. basically. He just- I'm like, yes! No fucks given by <laughs> Gareth Bryn. He is- and I really, like, I love that we're getting just little snippets of people that are going to come up again later. And mm-hmm. ah! what, what, what's the news that happens next? The what for the horn has been called? 
the great the great hunt for the horn the great grunt for the horns sorry i just was hoping you would do it <laughs> i mean say it not actually grunt like you know some people would take this opportunity to display their grunting skills I am not that Not person. me. No. Not I. No. Not us. No. You may hear me snort occasionally when I laugh, but intentionally grunting? Probably not. Anyway, grunting for the horn. Grunting for the horn. Which is so funny because Moraine's walking with them and she's like, <laughs> I know where it's at. I guess I can right. tell you guys. Right. But, uh... Okay. So yeah, so this has happened and this is the first time in 400 years that the Great Hunt for the Horn has been called. And I think that that's like, I think about that. And again, if you give it like a history step back, that's like early colonization of the United States. So yeah, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. So Hunt, uh, the Ail and Seafolk are acting up and that is definitely noteworthy. Like they're looking for the, like the sea folk are looking for their core more, but they don't talk about it. And the sea folk sisters in the tower, they won't talk about it. Um, the core more and the Karakan, 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 whatever it is that the Aiel call their, the corn car. <laughs> yes, the corn car. <laughs> Oh, he comes, he comes, Rand, the corn guy. <laughs> I was about to do like Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons. I've been watching Game of Thrones. So that's like, but yeah, that's what that makes me think of. Regardless. So we have strange happenings among cultures that the Aes Sedai don't really have an insight to. And that of course kind of irritate them. And then Lyandrin, like, kind of without really thinking about it, just mutters Almuth Plain. And Anaya's like, you silly goose. That's just a rumor. It sure is, Anaya. It sure is. So they get through all of this. They bump into Lady Amulisa. Maureen is so charming in this moment and it absolutely loved this me. part. Right? Loved it. Like, when she says something about how do I now call you Lady Amalisa as though we have never left over tea together or something like that? And I'm just like, oh, well, this is why people really like you. Like, she can become a very warm, charming, yeah, charming individual. And I think that that's something that I really like about her. And she reserves it for when she wants to use it and it feels very sincere. So it's a it's more in characteristic that I actually really like. And we saw it in Eye of the World when they got to Whitebridge and she was talking to all of the people who had lost someone that they loved because of what had happened with when the Madral and Tom had their showdown. So let's see here. The thing that almost flashes at me in an uncomfortable way is the sudden flip in Landrin's behavior, she goes from being cold, distant, barely saying anything to acting quote unquote girlish in her discussion with Amelisa. And it sounds like they're planning to hang out at some point in the near future. And mm -hmm. it's like, why? Why are you doing this? And Maureen's like, Landrin doesn't like anybody. Like she barely likes people in her own Aja. What? I think she says, what is that wretched girl up to? 
I love the word wretched. So Leandrin's acting weird. They all walk off. They finally arrive to the room and there are other Aes Sedai sisters in there. We have Varen and Seraphel exuding ultimate brown Aja vibes. I love this image of Varen like sitting on the floor in the light of an arrow slot, drawing the flowers that she's picked and describing them in her little journal. Like, I want to be a brown. It sounds so relaxing. Maureen knows most of the women in the room, but she doesn't know who the one yellow sister is. She addresses the room with a light illumine you all, and they do not reply to her. So she moves from this, is it an antechamber? And is taken to the Amarillan seat by Leanne, the Keeper of the Chronicles, and Swan Sanchi is sitting behind a desk with the chest, holding the Horn of Velir right next to her. Lord Algomar, why did you do that? I mean, really, what 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 was his reasoning for that? I'm sure there's probably going to be something about it later on, but it's just like, did he clear that with Moraine first? Should he have had to have cleared it with Moraine first? Here's the thing about nobles <laughs> and lords. Yes, please tell me. I don't think that this reflects so badly on Lord Alcomar, but how big of a deal is it for the Amarlin seat to show up on your doorstep? Right. <laughs> it's the guest gift. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what, no, it really is. Yeah. Like, how do you... How do you welcome the Amarlin seat? Right, and on top of that, how can you get even closer and have a better relationship with the Amarlin seat than giving her the freaking horn of Valir. It's an automatic forever in. Right, right. And he might really like Moraine and appreciate her, but she's not the Amarlin seat. Right. So Yeah. I that makes total sense. And I think one of the other things that I'm thinking around this is I feel as though Lord Aglomar is very tempted by the horn of Valir. And I feel like he wants it off his hands as fast as possible. I don't really blame him. Like a man in his position could call the heroes of legend and just clear out the blight. That has to be terribly tempting. And mm -hmm. instead he's like, just please take this. Welcome to Feldara, have, have the Horn of Valir. So I just... It ruffles Moraine's feathers, but she's like, it's not a big deal. I can recover from that. And so her and Swan have a bit of a, a conversation. In particular, Swan tells Moraine about Elaine and the Red Aja. And I do not understand why you are given clout, like a higher presence or something because you found someone who has a particularly strong capability of channeling. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I jumbled it's, that. It's it's Elida. I mean, <laughs> enough said. Truth. 
I understand. I'm sure um, she's extremely self-congratulatory whenever she can be. So True. And I mean, she did come back and have a foretelling that was about the Dragon Reborn who she... She was like, oh, by the way, foretelling of the Dragon Reborn and this amazing, amazing channeler. Look what I've bum, done. Bum. Don't everyone applaud all at once. <laughs> I'll be signing, I'll be signing autographs in the hall. <laughs> yeah, she's very much that person. I just think it's really interesting because then like Maureen goes, well, I've, I've found these two girls and I've seen Elaine and her and Aguine are comparable, but Nynaeve is just going to blow them out of the water. Like she, Her exact words were compared to the candle of Elaine and Egwene, Nynaeve's channeling capabilities are like that of a bonfire. Exactly. And this is where I get so high. <laughs> I love this quote. This was when this was one of my contenders. Yeah, for today. Yes. And I love that that's the description that's given because it does it it flames, it glows, it has a presence in the way that it's described for these women's strengths. And I just, I just love it. So Maureen is like, chill out, Swan, it's going to be okay. I have these girls. And then Swan is like, no, no, there's more. And she tells Maureen. But wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is more. Hold on. For some odd reason, the greens and the reds have started working together. And this is baffling to pretty much everyone because they have not worked together in the last thousand years. And what has commonly happened is that the blue and the green are pretty much lockstep when it comes to what they choose to do and how they choose to do it. So this sudden almost switch of alliance inside the white tower is a bit unsettling because it's pulling, I mean, really it's pulling power away from the blues and Swan tells Moraine that it was brought up in the tower. And at the moment, I don't remember who brought it up, but that they shouldn't take two sisters from the blue Aja because both Leanne and Swan were from the blue Aja mm -hmm. indicating that she would be partial to her Aja as opposed to being the subjective individual that she's supposed to be. And so they actually had to fight to get a full group of people in this party. Yes. Thank you. So this actually really shocks Marin. Like she's heard some things already, but this goes against like custom from centuries. And so she's, she's pretty shook up by this. And I think she's always kind of felt like the tower's breaking a little. And so in this case, she's like, this is another crack in the white tower, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. but that, that is what happens. And there's like a little exchange. Swan asks Leanne to leave the room, which would make it so that Moraine and Swan are by themselves. And this very rarely happens. The keeper is generally always with the Emerlin and in on all of the secret hush-hush discussions. But the moment they are alone together, they hug each other. And it said warmly. And I love this because, of mm -hmm. course, New Spring 
we know that Swan and Moraine have a really special connection to each other. And it has got to be so hard to feel connected to another human being and not be able to express it, to not be there for your friend. And I feel as though... And not be able to express it publicly. I think there are some things in this chapter that make me look at Moraine and go, what are you, what are you doing? Like, this isn't exactly what I'm expecting from you. And then there are these other moments where you're like, you seem so sweet and nice. So it's just, I think it's nice to get to see her as a multi-faceted hmm. character in this particular chapter. So Swan and Moraine have this moment of reconnection, of friendship, and then they basically dive into the meat of the matter, which is the Dragon Reborn. And Swan's comment is something along the lines of, if any of their sisters knew what they were doing, they would be stilled and they might be right to do it. And that is where chapter four ends with this very ominous, we're doing behind the scene things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. If we jump right into spoilers, it's kind of actually just going off of this. Sure. But Moraine is such a master manipulator. And this brings me back to New Spring when Lan is like an Aes Sedai and a Kyrianan. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man. Trouble. But I think from the very beginning, I don't think it was, oh, Egwene has the spark. I think it was, we bring this girl along, Rand will be sure to follow because oh. of his of his protective nature. He doesn't want to see anything bad happen to her. So From the moment like he's he stepped bait or she's 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 bait? the bait. Yeah. I'm sure Moraine had seen from their first interaction where Rand is like, you can't come, it's too dangerous. And then Egwena's like, you big woolhead, I can take care of myself. <laughs> And then Rand kind of like, that was that moment where he's like, okay, like you take Bella and he's being this protector over her. Yeah. And Moraine is no dummy. She saw that or mm -hmm. heard it maybe or just eavesdropped it. And yeah. she would have clearly thought, oh, okay, well, this is a key now. It's all a part of the plan. The wheel weaves. It's like the wheel's not weaving, Moraine. You are weaving right now. True. But I think... The next part of Moraine's plan is making sure that Egwene stays mm -hmm. with them and stays interested in this exciting adventure. So what does she do? She starts teaching Egwene very slowly how to channel every night, mm -hmm. making sure that Egwene has something to look forward to and something to make her feel important mm -hmm. and empowered. Mm -hmm. She's kind of spinning all of these schemes Nynaeve is where like a wrench got thrown into the plan <laughs> and I think Moraine knows that now Nynaeve is following along because now Nynaeve wants to make sure that Egwene, Perrin, and Rand are all okay and not being taken advantage of mm -hmm. and this is where I feel like Nynaeve is a hundred percent correct. Nynaeve does not like this woman and she has good reason she i does. think Nynaeve 
Nynaeve isn't a schemer like Moraine. Mm -hmm. It's something totally different, Mm -hmm. but I think she's acting completely on Mm -hmm. just her gut feeling that something isn't right and that she knows Moraine is probably hiding something. And Moraine is hiding something because from the very beginning, she could have probably just been open with everyone and being the stout two rivers people that they are, they might not have liked what she had to say, but if she said the fate of the world lies in your hands, they would probably be like, okay, then we'll help. Like we're strong people. Mm -hmm. Like we're from the two rivers. We can do this. We can do it together. And damn it. Moraine just approached it in the wrong way. And it's because of her background. It's because she's Kyrianan. She does not have this experience, I think, with just normal people. And again, we see it with her tender moment with the lady Annalisa. Mm -hmm. It's not just that Annalisa is a nice person, but I think Moraine feels an actual like kindredship with her Mm -hmm. because she is nobility. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that she's just like, oh, I can only hang out with high ranking people. I think that they just have things in common. Uh So they get along. Mm -hmm. I think Moraine has definite soft spots for Borderlanders in particular. And I think that in the book, Amelisa is described as having the same kind of strength in her face as her brother's. And in some ways... If not stronger. Yes, yes. In some ways, I feel as though that is what is attractive to Moraine. And I relate. Like, I like people who are strong and sincere and loyal and honorable and these all feel like characteristics of the lady Amelisa even in just like Mm -hmm. the little bit that we get described from her I mean a lot of times people get like nice descriptions like that and then they turn out to be dark friends so I could be totally off on feeling really solid about her however I'm pretty sure it's okay to trust that she is actually the woman she portrays and I like that yeah I like that a lot agreed yeah I did want to point out Mm -hmm. that there was a part about Moraine talking about Anaya, the Mm -hmm. warm Aes Sedai with a nice smile. Mm -hmm. She says something about how Anaya's openness to accept everything as people present leads to people think that Anaya is a schemer Mm -hmm. or she's politicking maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was so funny because it's so similar, I think, to what Moraine is kind of doing. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of doing something similar in the in regards to Rand, mm-hmm. where it's possible she's not being completely honest with him mm-hmm. because she doesn't understand just their forward nature of like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. There's nothing behind it. Yeah. And when you're from Kyrian and you're so adept in the game of houses, yeah. no one just holds all of their cards out in front of them. Uh There's always something that they're hiding. And I think that this is where Moraine has just got it all wrong. I think maybe she's hoping that if she can kind of manipulate the situation with Rand, I don't know, like push him in a direction. And it's unfortunate and it's funny that she makes this thought about Anaya Mm -hmm when she could be seen as doing the same thing as Mm -hmm. like seeing someone's 
face value and thinking like, well, they're probably hiding something. Mm -hmm. And this, I could be just pulling all of this out of thin air, but it's just interesting how this is the chapter, is the first chapter that we get the Aes Sedai plotting and scheming. And Moraine is kind of giving us the lowdown on all of this different (laughs) stuff. And then maybe not recognizing what she's doing herself. Mm -hmm. So small observation, uh, a potential seed, I guess, that I hadn't really thought about before. Leanne comments that Ingtar has been gone and he's been gone for a while. And where could he have been? And what could he have been wearing? (laughs) (laughs) A black silk mask. I think so. But Moraine was gone at roughly the same time. Because Rand is like, well, where did Moraine go? Like, she's just kind of left me hanging. And Mm -hmm. Land's like, I've told you, she just needs to be alone sometimes. And I'm like, if I didn't already know the things that I know, I think it would be interesting to like see that their two timelines kind of match up. What you're saying is Robert Jordan left us some faux shadowing. Yes, I think so. And I, I, I liked that. I hadn't really caught that before. That's a good catch. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was definitely worth sharing. And of course, that is another like spoiler of this section is knowing that Ingtar is the Shinar and from the Shadow Palpari, which he is a short-lived character. And I really like him. I think it's one of those things where like the statement, no one is irredeemable like however it is that they say it in the series i like that i like that there's that level of hope and ingtar actually comes through to the light at the end of his life and hope it's about hope and so this little story that's starting with ingtar i i just wonder though if it was what it what it was in that moment What were all of the elements to make it fall into place to where he does have this change of heart? Is it the flicker, flicker part? Mm -hmm. Is it just being in the presence of a strong Mm Taviran where the Taviran spider web has kind of Mm -hmm. caught you like a fly and can just kind of like pull you around? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, rather than like draining you, they like infuse you with light and hope maybe that's kind of how i see the taviran pull like i see it like a spider web where a taviran is just kind of like pulling the spider (laughs) web behind them and anything that it catches like you're stuck Uh there's just there's no getting out it's like walking multiple dogs at the same time you know what i mean (laughs) Like it gets so tangled. Everybody is like trying to go in different directions. And because you're so intertwined, you either get stuck and have to deal with your situation or you all move together as one. Severe and dog walking service. Get nowhere fast. (laughs) Is that, is that the motto? I think it should Mm -hmm. be. I was kind of wondering, and I didn't know if you might know this. I looked on, I looked on the map because you know, Maps are useful. And Tarvalon is that far away from Shidar. <laughs> On the Road map. to Tarvalon. 
You might not be able to see Tracy right now, but she's showing how far on a map by using her fingers, which is the most scientific way to do it. It is. It is. Which explains why we have not gotten to Tarvalin (laughs) after being on the road to Tarvalin for how long now? This This is how Tracy asks for directions. Anyway... It does not look like an incredibly far distance. It also looks as though it is river connected pretty much from Tarvalin to Shyanar and possibly up to Faldara. I did not look that close, but I'm wondering what the time frame is to get from Tarvalin to Faldara. And they had to round up all of their drummers, all of the horn players, Oh, that's not hard. They snap. (laughs) They snap. They come. You know it. You do not keep the Omerlin waiting. They were ready in hours. Hours. I guarantee it. I, I, you know what? I absolutely believe that, especially if Lars had control of like how things were going to get organized going out of like the kitchen for the things that they would need, because you know, they would need things like the amount of work that it would have taken to put something like that together is mind-boggling to me i would say it took them a week to prepare and that's it and And then they were gone yeah and this is the question that moraine is asking herself in chapter four is what is the trouble that has brought the amaryland seat to faldara because this is in the first place yeah this is very unusual this is highly unsuspected fortuitous right like was this a response to some news that Swan has received from someone other than Moraine? Is this in response to something that Moraine did send to Swan and Swan thought, instead of sending a pigeon, I'll go myself. And by the way, bring the band. There's a time frame here that I want because it feels sloppy. Okay. Okay. Changing the subject Please. slightly. So... Brandon Sanderson said that the Flame of Tarvalin episode <gasps> was his favorite. And this made me think. We're going to get Faldara, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Because they have filmed Shinaran soldiers, mm-hmm. I believe. I'm just thinking about how cool this shot would be opening up in Faldara. Like a cold open. You could have Swan Sanchez envoy Mm -hmm. writing together Mm -hmm. maybe have like some women channeling wind or something or you know someone making a statement like is there anyone on our tails and then having someone be like I'll send our scent this way (laughs) and then they send the wind and then maybe like it shows leaves or something Mm -hmm. kind of floating away And the leaves are kicked up into the air. And then you've got like this very wide angle shot from above. And then Mm -hmm. you're seeing the tops of the fortress and Lan and Rand practicing the sword and then having their talk. And it could just be so quick and so kind of eerie, I want to say, because we likely, well, I don't know. Do you think that we'll have Swan meeting the group in Tarvalin because that's what we saw on the teaser. You know, when you started saying something about that, I started kind of wondering about that too, is like, if we have the flame of Tarvalin is 
is the flame of Tarvalin. In Tarvalin. In Tarvalin. In Tarvalin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, is, or does she make this journey to Faldara? In, like, just for simplicity's sake, I feel as though it should happen in Tarvalin. Like, this really is quite elaborate. But then that would mean Rand is in Tar- Rand is in Tarvalin. Oh, Why would he yeah. leave after that? Why would he be able to? Exactly. He can't. Mm, interesting. Unless the whole group gets split up. Which has happened. Or we see Moraine before she leaves to go to the two rivers. Oh. Hmm. That way we have, like, an establishing shot of who is who, and Mm -hmm. then we know, like, what the Aes Sedai are. Yeah. Then we can meet them on the road somewhere later. No, we can't. We're terrible with maps. We will never, (laughs) ever meet them. It won't happen. They'll have to leave because they'll be bored from waiting for us for so long. Yes. That's what will happen. Indeed. Indeed. I do have to say that Rand really makes me want to pull my hair out with this decision to walk through the courtyard with all of those Aes Sedai there. That's just dumb, dude. It's just I, I literally dumb. do not even remember reading that. So that's it, it's, how much it affected me. It's worth forgetting, but it makes... Okay, there are two things that stand out. One, this was stupid on Rand's part. Two, Valdara is cool. We are in a place that faces danger at any given moment. So any space that is available to creating something that goes towards the defense of Faldara and the people of Shinar is used. And this is something that Rand observes as he's going through that big open courtyard where they're having a welcoming ceremony for the Amerlin. But mm-hmm. in this, this courtyard, there are also farriers and smithies and things that are kind of like dirty and grimy that you wouldn't necessarily associate with a formal gathering or welcoming, but that are absolutely essential to what Faldara is. Doesn't that just make it seem like a really cool establishing shot of the city though? Like I want to see people pounding metal with big hammers and I want it to be noisy and dirty and grimy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it to be neat and clean. That's Mm-mm. not Faldara. I mean, maybe inside for sure. Like they seem, right. they seem like when it comes to the personal side of life, they're a bit more indulgent and a bit more quietly poetic and romantic. Yeah. And also a little weird. Just a little bit. I'm going to have you marry my daughter after you were my sex toy, Lan. There are weird yeah. things that happen in the borderlands. Regardless, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to say about Faldara because I do think that remembering who and what the borderlands are is kind of important they have that feeling like they're they're like the night's watch defending against this thing that other people just think Mm -hmm. is a rumor and is a fable but it's something that they lose not yeah they sometimes lose entire villages to trollic raids so Mm -hmm. this is like an all the time thing that they face and i just think that it's probably fair to say that this was inspiration for George R.R. R. Martin. I mean, Ooh, what's mm-hmm. the very north of the map? It's the same yeah, yeah. concept. It's true. And I, I'm sure that it's kind of like a trope that's used in other places too, but this one in particular just feels kind of 
like strongly put there, if you will. Mm-hmm. So Feldara is a badass place to be. Well, I didn't even get finished with chapter one yet, so. Oh, shut up! I'm <laughs> asshole. I'm so sorry. It's totally fine. <sighs> and this is really short anyways. But wouldn't it be so funny if the way that Tam got the sword was completely boring? You know, because there's <laughs> theories that there's theories like, oh, he was such a awesome warrior that he was presented the sword by nobility for his awesome war deeds or Cariel Thor was an Aes Sedai and somehow that's how he got the sword because reasons because reasons and I thought wouldn't it just be hilarious if it was just a completely normal story where the Althor farm is out in the middle of nowhere in Emmonsfield uh-huh. where mm-hmm. King Amond had all of these big battles. So wouldn't it be hilarious if just some old farmer was digging in his yep, yard, yep. found a sword and was like, no. I don't need this and and just sells it to the guy next door mm-hmm. like, hey, Tam Althor, long time no see. Look what I found. <laughs> How you feeling about a sword? When you when you first started saying that, I was like, Tam is out getting ready to plant tobacco. And as he's yeah. like plowing. Tink. Yeah. Yeah. It shows yeah. up. Because I mean, exactly like you said, it's a place that's been around for a long time. There is right. shit that went down there. One of the sheep dug it up. Right. Who knows? And I mean, this is an area where there would have been massive battles happening. Yeah. Yeah. What if it was King Amon's freaking sword? Yeah, because I mean, it doesn't seem, from what we know, that area has not been urbanized in any way. Right. There's still kind of remote villages that aren't mm-hmm. connected. There's lots of space and whatnot. So it would absolutely make sense for something to just be like buried. Right, and after Queen Alessande goes nuclear who's to say that things weren't just absolutely leveled and buried under feet of soil Ooh, so. yeah good point good point i love that thanks That's the only so funny the only reason it doesn't work so well is because tam says he got the sword a long time ago mm-hmm. a long way from here and i paid entirely too much but I'm not 100% sure, but is this when he's already been hit with a trollic weapon and starting to... No, this is before it happens, right? It's before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. So maybe he thinks a long time ago was a couple years. A long way from here was Farmer Joe's house. And two coppers was entirely too much. Yeah, it's the it's the map version of the story. It's yeah, been like amped he's up. hyping it up yeah. just a little just a bit, little, just a little. Wait, like that much? Just like from mm-hmm. Shyanar Tarvalin on a map. Yeah, chapter three. <laughs> this is just a very small point, but the arrival of Masima into the story makes my eye twitch. Yep. And then speaking of eyes, we get a bonus mention of Uno. (laughs) Yeah, we do. 
I like which that. Which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And he and Rand also notices that Masima says that Uno gave the order that it came from someone else to not let anyone out of the gates. And I'm just curious. I think that was probably Moraine mm-hmm. being Moraine, mm-hmm. not wanting Rand to take off before the Amarlin gets there. Because mm-hmm. she knew. She knew. She's the only person who would have any reason to shut the yeah. gates down. Just her. Mm-hmm. And we know how respectful Uno is of Aes Sedai. <laughs> so I'm just assuming if she told someone like Uno, make sure that no one leaves the gates, that he would go around and spread the word for her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, and even without even questioning, I don't think he'd be like, did mm-hmm. Lord Algomar say it was okay? He would, yeah, just, he be would like, just go do it. Yeah, he'd be like, oh, okay. As you wish. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on my way. So mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. The next thing is just that Egwene said that Pottenfein is acting like his old self. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's a reason why maybe Pottenfein would be playing her, trying to give her some false sense of security. Possibly for the same reasons as Moraine. Like she's a connection to Rand. Because that's all that's driving him is to find Rand. Mm-hmm. So... I feel like that drive would be greater to play a game and try and somehow get to Rand any way he can. Yeah, for sure. And Egwene, no offense, but she would have been she would be a lot easier to pull a fast one on than Moraine. Yeah, she's definitely far younger, more naive. Exactly. She has she has seen Fane come into her village year after year after and, year. Yeah, and Egwene is so hopeful that there can be light in anyone and mm-hmm. she's so wanting to believe this yes. that if he just gave her the nudge mm-hmm. of like maybe it's happening yep. she would make this her cause mm-hmm. i feel like mm-hmm. and it feels like that's kind of what she's doing already mm-hmm. she sees another human being in need of companionship and compassion in like a really difficult situation. And so I think it's her seeing the humanity possibility. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to make this as a dig at Egwene, Mm -hmm. but she's the type of person where if you placed a problem in front of them, Mm -hmm. I think she would become so preoccupied Mm -hmm. with how can I fix this? How can I make this better? That you would just, you know, like divert. Mm -hmm. She would put all of her energy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what Moraine did with teaching her how to channel. Mm -hmm. Like, all you had to do is kind of like dangle this carrot in front of her. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, yes, I've got this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And okay, next question. We've got this first instance now of Fane's corruption of the Mordath corruption, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing it happen to the soldiers guarding the prisoners is Egwene completely immune to this because I I don't think there are any signs of the more death madness on her mm-hmm. I think I think I have an idea that's why she tackled Rand <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's displaying in Egwene mm-hmm. it's like in full-on football mode no what I was thinking what I was thinking is that her ability to touch the true source may have something to do with protecting her from the effects of more death because there is... Then that wouldn't work for Elida. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, is it confirmed I would that have Elida to... has been affected no. by Fane, or is that just a theory? It's a theory. Okay. With legs, but Agreed. I'm just saying, if we have, if we give it to Egwene, we have to give it to Elida as right. well, mm-hmm. unless. No, because Elida is quite strong in the one power as well. So, so strength would not be a factor. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I really don't know. That was the only thing that I could think of because I know there's that moment where Maureen is like, "My ability to touch the true source like protects us." Blah blah right. blah. So stick right. close to me. And I just wondered if maybe that switches over for her. What about maybe her ability to be a dreamer? Like maybe she's just more tuned into her subconscious. Elida, Elida has foretellings. That's true. So okay, so maybe not. It's hard to say, but I really think that I I don't see any type of corruption mm-hmm. to Egwene. So I just I think that maybe there, maybe too, there's something just about like your inherent goodness, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. if you are a fierce champion of the light where it would be harder to penetrate, mm-hmm. where Elida is a little bit more conceited <laughs> and unaware, delusional. I've got, I could keep going. <laughs> Chapter four. Yeah. I like, I liked what you wrote. All right. Well, let's wrap it up then. Yeah. Politics. I said, I intrigue scheming. It's here. It's here. It's here. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And off we go. So there are definitely two confirmed Black Aja showing up really early on here. And it's two that we know of out of 14. As far as I know of, there are not any other Black Aja sisters, the Svaldar gathering. And in some ways, it's kind of funny because it makes sense to have like two from each Aja to have two Black sisters there. But that said, I think that that probably excludes Leandrin or Leandrin and Varen from being the Aes Sedai present at the Shadow Pal gathering because they would have been on a boat on their way to Faldara. Mm-hmm. So I think we can we can say that they weren't there. I don't know if that's true or not. I think Leandrin might be one that's not a hundred percent confirmed, but I believe that she has contact with Boars, Yakim Keridan at some point. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to keep an eye out. Yeah, because I was I was actually thinking like it would make sense if it was like Galena Caspin and Alvirin, because if I'm not mistaken, they are the two most powerful in the Black Aja community. Mm-hmm. So I would think that it would be those two who would be there. We'll have to put on our Black Aja hunters. I'm going to get a Sherlock hat, hat for that. Yeah. I've always wanted one. I'm sure I'll look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. So yeah, of course, we've got this this Black Aja business happening. I like Anaya being like, hey, I really wish we had a sister like in with the Aiel because no one ever knows what they're doing. And I'm like, just you wait. You got two more books to go, Anaya. And then we're off and running. The Aiel. And I, I actually am really, really Literally excited. Literally yes! with them. I would make the worst Aiel. I would just <laughs> die in the sunshine. I would be like... I would just channel way more oxygen to my lungs. Can you do that? Ooh, I don't know. Probably. I mean, there are wind finders. They mentioned their ability to work with weather. Do you think they can pull elements out? 
I need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I do kind of wonder about this. Could Moraine be considered a wilder? Should she be considered a wilder? I don't. You don't think so? I mean, it depends on what sense of the word. I mean, anyone is a wilder, right? I mean, if as soon as they can do one accidental weave mm-hmm. on their own, they're a wilder. But I think her status kind of keeps that word away because mm-hmm. she was probably afforded a quicker trip to the tower, more They help. threw her like, a party. I think they were able to kind of like catch it early enough so where it didn't have a negative connotation where they would be like oh like she has a spark we taught her something Mm -hmm. she's off to the tower yeah no nothing to see here (laughs) nothing to see here because like you said if she could be considered a wilder anyone could be considered a wilder who had touched the power before they had come to the tower it's like one of those things where it's what is the definition? Is there a strict definition? Can you have a buffer for yourself like Moraine did that where you arrive at the tower and you've had some experience channeling, but you can also say you've had some experience training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So you were guided. So you weren't necessarily a wilder. Maybe that's, that was just, I was like, is it what, what is the definition? should be wearing your wilder sweatshirt today it's basically i feel like when you show up to the tower it's like bullying really it's just if you don't if you don't fit if you don't fit in you'll be labeled this but if you have a posse and you're well regarded then that stigma will probably not hang over your shoulders you know i think that is a very good point i agree with you yeah okay i kind of like just because i'm a bit I'm a bit dark and I have to wonder post being stilled when it happens to Swan and Leanne and like Mm -hmm. here at the end of this chapter, she's like, I can't say that they would be entirely wrong to do it. Do you think she was still feeling that way when that happened? I brought this on myself. This is what I deserve kind of thing. Probably a little bit, but I just want to know how they're going to do stilling on the TV show if they're not doing ageless spaces. I'm going to assume wardrobe. I know it's not much, but that's the only thing that I can think of for like a dramatic enough change, like potentially hairstyle, clothing, whatnot. Just making everyone look frazzled and like depressed. Downtrodden. (laughs) Makeup. I hate that. I really hate that. Yeah, I, I don't really know what they would do other than that, you know? Like, I feel like the only other option is just that it kills them. Mm-hmm. But then that means, which would make sense if you're hiring a really expensive actress like Sophie Okonedo, Okonedo to do just a couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And then she's freed up to shoot other shows yeah. and movies or work in theater. But I mean, they did that with Sean Bean. The, right the guy exactly. that played Ned Stark I mean he was a, he was a huge draw for Game of Thrones he's, he's the Moraine character mm-hmm. I mean yep I can't see Rosamund Pike wanting to be tied to a series for eight to ten years mm-hmm. mm. unless it's the you know next biggest thing 
She's at least in the Tower of Genji for that's some time. That's exactly what I was thinking is like, it's already built in to give her a mm -hmm. massive break if she chooses to take one. Right. So but with Sophie Okanato, there isn't. No, Swan's in it the whole way through. Unless they just do entirely different actresses for Swan and Leanne. That's the only other way I think that you could show a dramatic enough change. Well, and then there's the Loghain actor as well, which I can't imagine someone that popular staying on for that amount of time. So maybe it just kills them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I hate that idea. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I really like to just give you ideas that are good ideas and that you like. But on this one, I don't really have much. No, there's, that's how I feel. I just, I've thought about this and I just, I've got nothing. Yeah. I keep, remember when you asked me when I think Swan Sanche is going to get stilled? Yeah. Like how early on you yeah. think they'll, I was like, it won't be for a while. And after I told you that, it's been like eating away at me yeah. where I can't stop thinking about it. Uh -huh. Where... That would be some major, major drama to hit us earlier on in the series. Yes. And it would be something to get audiences to like really, it's like whiplash, you know, like what did we just watch? So. And also, I really appreciate watching something when I don't know if someone is safe or not. Exactly. You know, like if you just start picking off main characters right from the beginning like yeah it's gonna break my heart but i'm gonna but then you're not watching it thinking everyone has plot armor exactly like i i like it when bad shit happens it makes it feel real like i want this to feel like a human story and it does it's something that i really really appreciate about the way that robert jordan has put this series together is it's very human in its approach mm -hmm. and i like that agreed agreed i'm gonna skip to my very last thing on the list oh please and then... do <laughs> moraine's assessment of leandrin had me laughing so hard because she's talking about how it would be more probable for leandrin to be friends with a trollic than it would be for leandrin to be friends with someone in a right. different aja yeah and i was like Burn. <laughs> that was fire. <laughs> Loved it. She does have a way of ripping Leandrin apart. Moraine's shade is, yeah, it's it's something amazing. I, I want to sit under that tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's spot on, too. Like, that's the other it's so thing. Good. Is she's like, I'm going to say this thing, and by the way, 100% accurate. And it's always when she's making comments like this, it's always something that she's thinking. So she's not saying it out loud to anyone else, but I just love how clever she is right? with herself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had one more thing. Please. She, this description of Nynaeve's channeling from like the candle to the bonfire yeah. moment. Mm -hmm. Do you think that someone's sheer like channeling capabilities and power is going to look different on screen? Capabilities, yes. We saw with the Alana actress where she's like 
stopping the arrows. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like it made a little air bubble. So does that mean if like Nynaeve did the same thing, like it would cover the whole forest? All of Andor. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And how much of a shock will it be for viewers? Like if we get these little instances of people channeling Mm -hmm. and Moraine calling down lightning and stuff. And then that first moment where we get kind of like little bits and pieces where Nynaeve is healing people. Mm-hmm. But when I'm trying to think when Nynaeve's first like big channeling moment is, we're going to have to look out for it now. But yeah, I don't know if I have anything else. Do you have anything else? Pretty well, pretty well chatted out. Yes. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.